You are listening to an Awkward Human podcast. For more information on this podcast or all of our shows, visit awkwardhuman.com slash shows. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Interview with a Nerd. I am your host, Richard Gardenas, as always. How is everyone doing? So we're in the middle of December. Well, no, we're like at the, we're, we're at the last third of December, I guess, when this airs. Yeah, because it'll be the 20th, I think. I'm pretty sure that's when this will come out. Anyway, um, yeah, the the year is fast approachingly ending. I, I grammar good. Um, the, the, the end of the year is quickly approaching and, um, I'm not freaked out. I wouldn't say that I'm freaked out. It's just that this month has seemed to have gone by very quickly. Like, I feel like the whole year went by fine. Like it went by normal. I don't feel like anything was fast. I don't think anything was slow. It's just for whatever reason, December went by very, very fast. And I think that's probably because you know, shopping and stress and, and having to, to stress out about, you know, what you're going to get people and stuff. But, um, I guess if you don't celebrate Christmas, then you don't have to worry about that. Um, I don't know if, uh, if you celebrate Hanukkah, you get eight days of gifts, but I don't think that they have to be huge and significant. Usually I think that they're like trinkets or something. At least that's what Adam tells me. I don't know. I could be super wrong about all of that stuff. Anyway, Let's get on to the show. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're going to have a few things to talk about. Uh, I, I do have a new little thing that I'm doing, which is, uh, which you guys will hear, but um, I, after the uh, comic recap, I will be doing some segments where sometimes, like when I'm doing news and stuff that I've talked about in the past, uh, I, I will have like correspondents come in and talk to me about the news that I want to talk about because... Um, I figured, you know, sometimes I have friends or, or I know people who who feel passionately about a certain thing and then news comes out about that thing and I want to talk about it, but I want to talk about it with someone who maybe has a better understanding of it. Anyway, so I'm going to have some correspondence on the show now um, whenever I can get them. So yeah, that'll be something to look forward to later in the episode. But for now, we're going to get into the comic book recap, which this week I am doing a new series. It's called Fence, and I believe Boombox is the one publishing. Uh, Boombox is part of Boom Studios. They also do um, which other ones do they do? They do they do other ones. Um, but anyway, so this is Fence number one. This is written by C.S. Pat, illustrated by Johanna the Mad, colors by Joanna La Fuente, and letters by Jim Campbell. All right, so I picked this book up because I believe it was Tom Taylor who retweeted this uh, release or something, or maybe a few months ago, actually, he tweeted something about this comic book coming out, and I read a little synopsis about it, and it seemed very interesting. Uh, so thank you to Tom Taylor. He's the author or the writer of uh, All New Wolverine and Injustice and so much more. But anyway, so I picked it up. It came out finally last month. Um, I was very excited. I couldn't find a physical copy anywhere. I know that you can go to your like your LCS and ask them to order stuff for you. I feel like I'm not at that level yet where I can just like, I usually go to the same comic book shop every week uh, and I feel like the guy likes me <laughs> enough, but 
I don't know. I just don't feel like I've gotten to that level where I could just be like, order this book. And like, I don't know the ins and outs of it. Maybe someone can explain it to me. Can I just ask them to order one issue? You know, like maybe I know that there, I remember the first shop I ever went to was in Burbank and she, uh, the, the, the person who was there at the counter or, you know, the person working in the shop that day, she said that, you know, if there's anything you're interested in, just let me know and we can order it for you. And I was like, cool. But then, uh, I just kind of dropped that mentality of like, cool, they can just order anything for me. Uh, Cause I don't, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm making someone inconvenienced by having to order something they wouldn't normally order. Or maybe it would be a good thing if they got fence in and then other people would want to buy it if they just had extra copies laying around. I don't know. Don't, don't come at me. Um, anyway, let's get into fence. All right. So we open up with some cool narration and it's the 1984 Olympics. And the narration basically says, they say the tip of a fencer's blade is the fastest thing at the Olympics, other than the markman's bullet. Watching from the sidelines, it just looks like a blur. That's how quickly you can win or lose. So I like that, uh, that little introduction. Um, then we cut to the Connecticut regional circuit for the 2018 season. So our protagonist, Nicholas Cox, is checking in at registration and it's revealed that his uh, first elimination round is against someone named Seiji Katayama, which apparently is not good news for Nicholas. Um, we cut to the boys' locker room where there are a bunch of guys talking about how the weapons check has delayed the tournament. Um, we learn that a hot blonde guy named Kyle likes to brag about how talent runs in his family because he keeps talking about his cousin going to like world championships or whatever, and everyone's kind of tired of it, and they kind of call him out on it. Uh, anyway, Nicholas walks in and the guys up their bitchy level by five clicks. Nicholas is pretty much a loner and they single him out immediately, talking about how he looks like he's from some crappy local club. And Kyle even walks up to him to make a snide remark about his shoes looking like they came from goodwill. Nicholas shoots back that he can beat him and the other guys start talking about how he's going to be going up against Seiji and doesn't stand a chance past round one. Then in walks the devil himself. Turns out Seiji was a junior championship finalist. He spent a year in France training and is back in the United States and hasn't lost a single match since. And they continue their gossip about Seiji, saying that he's going to be going to this private school like with the best fencing club. This school is called Exton. And that he basically has to do this little dumb regional because he needs to qualify for nationals. And since he left the U.S., he basically like has to do this um, to requalify or whatever. So we leave the Gossip Girls and get ready for Nicholas and Seiji to have their match. Nicholas tries to be a good sport by like reaching out his hand to shake uh, Seiji's hand. And Seiji is smugly having none of it. He tells Nicholas that he's going to beat him 15 to 0. And Nicholas is like, boy, it's on. And not even a second in, Seiji gets his first strike. <laughs> so... He, 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 he good. Um, we cut to a flashback of Nicholas meeting his coach. Nicholas doesn't really have money. And he says that he wants to work at this studio in exchange for lessons. Well, it turns out his dad was a fencer, but he didn't really know him because he left him when his mom, uh, sorry, left him and his mom before he could remember like having a dad, I guess. So eventually he starts his training and the coach tells him he's a natural and he wants him to compete for a scholarship to get basically into a school that would have a better coach for him to have. Um, so Nicholas has to save up all this money to register for this regional that 
he's at now. So we cut back to the present and we see him still getting his ass kicked by Seiji. There's a coach who says that Nicholas's technique and style reminds her of someone, but she can't figure like figure out who it reminds her of. Which probably means we're going to find out that his dad was some famous fencer or something. But anyway, Nicholas is able to get very close to striking Seiji, but unfortunately doesn't. And this like intrigues some of the spectators. Um, Unfortunately, Seiji kicks his ass 15 to 0, just like he said he would. As Seiji walks away, Nicholas yells to him and Seiji responds, what do you want, Zero? He calls him a zero. This is not, not, not cool, Seiji. Uh, Nicholas declares that he will be the one to beat him and he will know what it's like to lose in front of everyone. And being a prudish dick, Seiji walks away and says, beat me at your level? I'm so far ahead of you. I'm surprised you can even see me at all. So you're a dick, Seiji. <laughs> you're good and you know you're good and you're being smug about it. Um, we cut to Nicholas in his bedroom, shirtless, with bruises all over his chest, crying. It's a really sad image. Um, so then six months pass and he's at King's Row Boys School. We learn that he earned a scholarship to attend the school, but only if he makes the team. So basically he has a scholarship. If he doesn't make the team, then he can't be at the school he loses his scholarship because the scholarship is for him to fence um anyway he has this guy who's kind of like leading him through the school showing him everything and he leads him to his dorm room and this guy mentions that nicholas's roommate is also trying out for the fencing team he's like hey you guys have something in common so they open the door and they find a shirtless guy well semi shirtless he looks like he's probably putting it on or taking it off we don't know it's an it's a, it's a single image anyway we it's seiji seiji's in his room so it turns out that seiji is attending the same school that nicholas is and now they're roommates let the drama ensue and that's how the issue ends um i don't know why i like this book so much i think it's because it's about these like young boys doing this like tournament thing this 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 sport that isn't your typical football baseball basketball type of thing it's fencing I think that's more niche and and in the book they kind of give the terms and everything of fencing like you know epe or whatever which I epe I don't know how to pronounce it I'm not French uh, which is like the handle basically of of the sword <laughs> um, so <laughs> clearly I don't know but anyway I like it for that um, I guess they have a consultant on here I think the author herself actually used to fence um, so that's kind of cool don't quote me on that though, because I feel like I read her talking about how she used to fence but I could be wrong about that anyway so I really like the book. Um, from what I read about what the series is going to do, it's going to like talk about, you know, um, being in this all boys school, uh, having to deal with uh, sexuality and stuff like that. And on top of that, you know, being very competitive in a sport and, and what that's like. So, so far, this is issue number one. Issue number two will drop the day that this episode comes out. Uh, so I'm looking forward to issue number two for sure. So yeah, um, I definitely recommend this for people who don't really, you know, or who are looking for something that is not superheroes or who already read stuff that's not superheroes and wants to read this. Uh, it, 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 it's made by the same publisher that does Giant Days, which I really like as well. I am not sure if I ever did a Giant Days recap, but uh, yeah, so I really love that 
uh, series, and this kind of like feels a little bit like in that same realm. And I believe they're both boom box. So yeah. Anyway, that's Fence, and I really enjoyed it. Um, next thing that I want to talk about is Star Wars. Uh, now I'm going to give myself, I saw, I I heard this on another podcast. Um, I'm going to set a timer for myself for those who have not seen Star Wars yet. I'm going to give myself about, uh, let's, let's say a minute and a half to, to quickly go over my thoughts on Star Wars, The Last Jedi, uh, with full spoilers and everything. So uh, you know, fast forward a minute and a half from the point that I say go, and then, uh, then you'll be good. So I think that's like what six clicks of the the fifteen fast forward. All right, so I'm starting the timer on my Star Wars, uh, review quick review my thoughts, uh, right now. All right, so um. I really enjoyed this movie. It's very divisive because there are fans of Star Wars that are freaking the hell out because of what they've done in the series. And basically what they've done is say, like, what you know about these characters, forget it because there's a lot that you that you didn't know. And basically it's only, I guess, you know, Luke that we didn't really know about. But, like, he struggles a lot in this with, like, uh, doing something that might have been dark or at least having a thought that might have been really dark, which is basically that he thought he needed to kill Kylo Ren because he was like fearful that he'd be the next Darth Vader or whatever. And like we see a lot of that turmoil in him. Uh, so we learn that he's not the perfect guy just because he's this Jedi master that we've been following for years and years and years. He's not perfect. He has these issues. And it's the same with Rey and Kylo. Like they're very diverse characters and we get to see that in them. Like she's trying to figure out if she needs to go to the dark side or to the light side or like struggling with, she knows that there's darkness in her because she doesn't know who her parents are and all that stuff. Um, she grew up in a really shitty, shitty situation alone. And, and so like she has that dark side in her and she's trying to fight it and he's trying to help her fight it or whatever. And like, you have Kylo who's like, decides that he's just going to go off the deep end and just go dark and be very crazy about it. And I really like that. I loved uh, Admiral Holdo, who's played by Laura Linney. And oh my God, that scene where she does the light speed through the ship. Holy shit. Oh my God. And that is my time. All right. So, um, yeah. <laughs> In conclusion, I really enjoyed Star Wars uh, because it was so crazy. It was unpredictable. I didn't know what was going to happen. And, and I really enjoyed that. It's two hours and 30 minutes long. And it it feels that long, but it doesn't feel like I'm waiting for something to happen at all. Like the, the story moves and I really like that. So brava Ryan Johnson um, and the cast and crew of this movie. Um, yeah. So that's my, my very, very quick <laughs> review of Star Wars. I would give it a four out of five, maybe a four and a half. Oh God. I just rated something. Um, okay. So, now, what I want to talk about is um, the the Disney and Fox merger buying situation. Uh, so this one I did get some correspondence to talk to me about. So let's go to that now. All right. So I also wanted to talk about the Disney Fox merger. And I have two people on to talk to me about it because there is some stuff I just don't understand. So with me are uh, Adam Dachis. Oh, hello. And Tommy Haunton. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. So I wanted to have you guys on because as a 
as a Marvel fan, I am excited for this merger, but I know that there are, are problems to it. And I don't really understand the ins and outs of those problems. And I thought maybe some of my listeners might not either. So I wanted to talk to you guys because I think you guys know a whole lot more about it than I do. So as a Marvel fan, I am excited to have the X-Men back with the Marvel uh, line so that you know, they can cross over, do all this stuff. But why is this Disney and Fox merger or why is Disney buying Fox such a huge deal? So to give some background as to why this was important in the first place for Disney, um, Disney has made under the CEO, Bob Iger, a lot of very strategic moves that are meant to make the company very competitive over a long term. When they bought Marvel and Lucasfilm, it was to get boy male audience. For the Fox merger, this is very much about Netflix. Um, oh. Right now, Netflix is dominating the market, and companies that are traditional media companies are falling behind. And this was about competing against Netflix with not only a library of competitive titles that are TV-based, like Simpsons, Family Guy, the entire library of Fox TV shows, but also Hulu. Hulu is basically a shared company that's owned by Comcast, Fox, Disney. When Disney acquires Fox, they now own the majority stake of it. Disney has announced they want to do a streaming service that will compete directly with Netflix with their own style of programming that mm -hmm. basically they will restrict from Netflix. So Netflix has to rely on their own original programming, not being able to put sins in all the giant things that Fox has. So this is honestly as a move towards the future. Plus, they get Avatar, Star Wars film, the mm -hmm. X-Men Fantastic Four licenses back. So there's a lot of big things in store for this. Uh, they also get cable channels. So for them, this is just a strategic plan that, one, they want to compete with Netflix, but two, there's a lot of stuff they get to add to their portfolio. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that um, I heard is that technically they don't get Fantastic Four because technically Constantine Films owns them. <gasps> And so, God, Fox has the distributing rights to it, so it's kind of different. Do you, does that affect is, Disney? But, yes, the deal. So, from what I understand from statements made by Bob Iger on conference calls, the Fantastic Four license is getting pulled in somehow. So that was seemingly worked out behind the scenes. Yeah, oh. I mean, Constantine's really small. So, I um, a friend of ours, Richard, if you do have forgotten, used to work for them, and I don't. I won't mention her to. Um, Who's who's now at Warner oh. to uh, uh, you know potentially get her in any trouble? Mm -hmm. Not that she had anything bad to say, but they're you know I mean like Constantine's a pretty small place. They don't make a lot of films, but they're responsible for like the Never Ending Story, Resident Evil, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess apparently Fantastic Four. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, very very yeah very early on Constantine. This was back when Marvel was at the verge of bankruptcy and actually did file for bankruptcy uh, to save m and basically make money. They gave out for pennies on the dollar the licenses to different uh, film franchises, uh, including Fantastic Four. This was done way early, uh, before the other big ones. And Constantine got the rights. And with Fox, there was a challenge of more or less that Fox wanted to get into the Fantastic Four business. And so they had a deal where basically they would distribute, uh, Constantine would produce, but it would basically be a joint deal. Mm -hmm. And that continued throughout. It likely is going to be either Marvel, we'll find out the deals when the deal's made public, but it will either be Marvel and Disney buying outright the, the rights or doing it basically a, a, a sweetheart deal where Constantine gets uh, a 
kind of the profits, but does not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I know there are a lot of Marvel fans who are upset about this deal because of what that could mean for the future of Deadpool and for the future yeah. of the X-Men films. All their spinoffs were kind of taking this different direction. And I've actually talked about it on my show as well, where you have films like Logan and the New Mutants coming out, or Logan already came out, but that was like a Western-type movie, and the New Mutants is like this horror-type movie. And it seemed like Fox was going in a completely different direction where they wanted to experiment with all these genres. And then you have the Deadpool stuff that's like super rated R. And so the concern was, what does this mean for that? And Bob yeah, Iger... on this one. Bob Iger actually came out. He's the CEO of Disney. He actually came out and was like, there are no plans to, to change what Deadpool is. He hasn't really, I don't think, spoken about any of the other stuff, but that's his statement on Deadpool. Uh, what were you going to say? I mean, he's... Yeah. He said that R-rated movies can exist within this world. I mean, bottom yeah. line, the company is responding to money. And well, Deadpool printed a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They would be foolish to mess with that formula. Because yeah, honestly, they don't care about any kind of agenda as long as it makes them money. Well, Tommy, what, what, what was Disney's subsidiary? What was Disney's subsidiary where they did riskier films and then it started with an M and they... Born, uh, Born of Vista Entertainment. No, no, there was a... They, um, God, what was it called? There was, a, there was an M, or maybe, like, I don't remember. But Miramax they, was, Mir was the franchise from the Weinsteins they bought. Oh, okay, yeah, because I remember they used, I remember um, uh, Michael Moore made this same argument that it's like they don't care if it, you know, if it goes against anything yeah. as long as it makes money, and Miramax was what he pointed to. Um, but Miramax, I yeah, don't think, Miramax does was, anything yeah, anymore. That was the Weinstein company that, before the Weinstein company. They, Mira and <laughs> Max are the name of their parents, Harvey oh. and Bob Weinstein. So they oh. bought that company, and the Weinstein's produced for Disney for a while. But yeah, they, they bought them into the family. But Born of Vista Entertainment was always the banner they under released under. So they have tons I'm, of things. They don't, again, if it prints money, it's hard to argue against that. Mm -hmm, the shareholders yeah. don't give a crap as long as it keeps the company making money and generating income. And Deadpool works as an already character. If they neuter him, then that whole franchise is completely sunk. Yeah. But I think they acknowledge that these things are successful the way they are, and it would be foolish to change them. Well, also, have you seen Ryan Reynolds' tweet about the merger? <laughs> about the Matterhorn? No, about the sexual tension between Deadpool and Mickey Mouse finally getting resolved. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so he's not worried. Ryan Reynolds is being, yeah, being Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like he's just he's just re-solidifying that Deadpool, um, that that he's really perfect casting for Deadpool. <laughs> but oh, completely. It's funny that mm. I think people are nervous about him after Wolverine Origins and. Um, after Green Lantern, but it's very well, clear not, that Ryan Reynolds is always the right choice. Not that many people, though, because I don't think that many people saw those movies. But <laughs> but I do agree with yeah, the whatever subset of people went. Um, so Tommy, I know you're a you're a X Men fan and specifically Psylocke. But um, how do you? I mean, I don't really know what's coming out of this. I mean, we we already have the New Mutants movie coming out. That's a done deal. That's coming out. Um, do you have any like thoughts or anything of where the X-Men franchise will go from here? Would, do you think that they'll start over? Do you think they'll pull anything over other than Deadpool? I think, I think it's a couple of things. I think there are two things that kind of indicate where things might go. One is phase four. They've made it very, very clear that the Marvel universe is completely being, not erased, but essentially going into new territory because it's very clear a lot of people are going to be dying in the Infinity War. Mm -hmm. 
my guess is when you're playing around with infinity stones that are that powerful, you can mess around with time and space. And this would be the perfect chance to introduce Fantastic Four and X-Men into this world because you're going to have a lot of dead heroes and a lot of new chances to find either alternate universes or pocket realities, whatever nonsense comic terms you want to fold these characters in. Now, what really matters is Deadpool's success. I have no doubt he will likely find a way to pop over to the... However, the X-Men, it depends on these movies. If Dark Phoenix does not do well the same way that Apocalypse did, they could just completely reboot the whole thing. Yeah. But if people are fans of these characters, I could see them finding a way to fold them in. How well did Apocalypse do? Marvel has an MO where they want to have people for a long-term contract. It's a lot easier when they're young unknown actors who have a 12-picture deal. So mm-hmm. I can see arguments for both. It just depends on how well Dark Phoenix does and how well New Mutants do. Wait, but how well did Apocalypse do? Because I thought that one didn't do as well. I mean, I'm sure it made money. It did but... not. It did not. And so if Dark Phoenix does not make money, there's a very strong argument for them being able to just say, screw it, we're going to reboot the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, like in my personal opinion, I think them just rebooting the X-Men is a smart idea. Um, I think that Fox, you know, the people who have been behind these movies have kind of like been very iffy on the characters and and the storytelling and where they're going with it and everything. Like, I don't know, me personally, I felt that way. And I think that it probably does need a whole just like new set of cast, you know, maybe even new characters that they bring in that aren't the, the basic five or whoever that we have seen time and time again. But what makes me nervous is that um, we won't get to see the, the, the diversity in genres with these superhero films that, that we seem to be getting with Fox. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if I necessarily agree. I think Disney has made it very clear that the Marvel yeah. universe is doing very well with experimenting with genres. Well, also look at Spider-Man. That was under Disney. And Guardians and Thor we're all very different, just like the uh, Winter Soldier. So I think there's room within the Marvel Universe to play around with genre and type. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you that I think Fox definitely took some risks because they had their own franchise and were willing to play around with genre. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think Disney and Marvel are going to keep experience again, so long as it makes money. Right. Bottom line is the Marvel films at Fox that were experimentations in genre made money and i think so long as they keep seeing that they will keep experimenting and i think that's really kind of uh, the other issue this is my issue i guess with the acquisition here is that we now have instead of the big five we well we don't have the big five anymore as long as this deal goes through um but disney is going to i mean they're the main shareholder i don't know if that's the right i mean i guess that works but main shareholder for hulu um yeah the majority shareholder and they uh and they have access to pretty much everybody's nostalgic childhood stuff um i mean they don't have dc but you know that's not exactly but dc's (laughs) barely making it in the movies area right now um so it's it's one of those it's one of those things where it's just like disney kind of owns all of it now they, and, and having them be in control of all of that is where I think a lot of these concerns come mm-hmm. from because if, they, because if it's not making money, then Disney's not going to put money into it. And then, you know, something that you like dies where it might have been able to exist 
and and uh, and be made and function and and actually make money for somebody um, in a smaller capacity, but without that competition, it's I mean instead that competition is happening within within Disney, and if Disney doesn't see a value in it, then you know you don't get it anymore, and that's just one way that also, that lack of competition yeah. hurts. The big thing is like the X Men movies exist because they were fun. If people don't realize, but the reason we have the boon of superhero movies that we do is when Marvel had their toolbox of characters to pull out, they only had the Avengers. They didn't have Spider-Man and all the other characters to play with. They only had their Mm -hmm. core Avengers group, which they did a hell of a lot with. But the challenge is that Disney, as a speech now that Disney has acquired Marvel, they're only going to release a handful of films a year. We got more films with the X-Men and the Marvel characters that were separate because they're at separate studios. Mm-hmm. Disney's only going to keep, they're not going to keep putting out more movies over and, like, and adding more to their slate. They're going to keep putting out the same number of movies. So that means we got more superhero movies because the, the, the heroes were at Fox. Do you, if they'd been at Disney the whole time, we may not have gotten a whole blown at Marvel universe at Fox, which, you know, had mixed results. You had some great ones and some really bad ones mm-hmm. in between. But we wouldn't have gotten those likely at all had Disney had them the entire time. Um, I know that recently a lot of superhero fatigue has been talked about where they people are saying that within the next 10 years we're going to see superhero movies like going away because they won't be like as wanted as they you know used to be and do you think that was an actual thing to worry about and that maybe this Disney deal with that you know them only bringing out maybe two to three films a year is better than having all these companies bringing out superhero films I don't think it hurts. I think the fact that people, you want people to miss characters and want to see them next. I think this is why Marvel's been so cautious because Marvel's not at the bomb yet in terms of their Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. And I think people are really waiting for this to happen because this is, as far as hits go, has been the longest string of successful hits without a bomb mm-hmm. in, in terms of franchise history. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, you can argue that James Bond is one of those, but there are some lesser known ones that kind of like die another day that really hurt the franchise. Marvel really hasn't had a giant bomb yet. And I think people are waiting for that. So long as people can keep delivering, and this is the big thing I keep pointing out to people, a superhero movie should not be a genre. Mm, yeah. It, and that's, that's a very good point. Winter Soldier was a Cold War era style thriller. Guardians was a goofy space opera. Thor was a comedy set in some space. Just, you have these interesting things they're experimenting with. Mm-hmm. And I think so long, like with New Mutants, I'm excited to see a comic book style horror movie. Mm-hmm. I want to see that. Yeah. So I think as long as they keep experimenting with it, that. it's going to be really hard to get sick of them. Because you can have movies that do have roots in comics and are quote unquote superhero movies, but also are firmly grounded in the very other genre. So, so long as companies don't keep making the same old spandex nonsense over and over again, I think you're going to see uh, a fatigue kind of being staved off. But if they keep making chip leagues, you're going to see, I think, something. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and audience is getting bored. I mean, and, hell, audience has already got bored with Justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I was excited about um, with Fox, you know, bringing out these movies where they were playing with the different genres. And they were such different genres. You know, they weren't just, like, adding in the comedy or whatever. But uh, it, it was it was such a turn. And so that's what I was excited about. And, you know, the merger being worried, blah, 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 all that stuff. But um, the, the, the last thing I want to touch on with you guys is uh, besides possible loss of of the stuff that you care about you know other companies not being able to create that stuff now disney's in charge of it like besides that how is this 
merge or how was them buying Fox problematic? Well, I think just to go back to where we were a little bit um, uh, on this, which now maybe I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Um, but we were, what were we just talking about? <laughs> refresh my refresh my memory so I don't. Well, we were talking about time. the different genres and the superhero fatigue. Right. Superhero oh yeah, the fatigue. superhero fatigue. I think that's part. It, it's going to be what what's going to go wrong is going to depend a lot on what's going wrong in the world. And if you look if you look back to I'm going to get the times wrong, but somewhere around the 60s, um, there was this it, kind of escapism through. Uh, well, I guess James Bond is probably the best way of looking at it. Um, I mean, the best example. Uh, there's escapism for people who were stuck in, you know, corporate jobs, which were very, you know, you didn't have a lot of power. And if you look at kind of what's happening now, you can see a lot of similarities to the 60s. Um, and you can see a lot of uh, of how, you know, people are looking more for job security and not being in a panic about money. And they just, everybody wants jobs, 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 jobs. That's all you hear in politics. And so when, if we go into that direction, if it come, gets to a point where, you know, the robots don't take all our jobs and we actually are just, you know, going back into another corporate structure um, like it was back then, people are going to want that escapism. And therefore, um, I don't think there is going to be a, so much of a superhero fatigue. There's going to be a desire for more of it. And it's, and it's kind of, these two things are going to kind of feed themselves. And I, I think, and I, I say that um, not to backtrack, but because is there anything else problematic? I think that's very problematic. Okay. That, that, that is what I, I think that's something that we need to be cognizant of and potentially resist as it, as it comes along. Otherwise, I mean, we shouldn't be escaping. We should be enjoying. Um, if these products are dominating our lives when we're not at work, then that's, I, I think that's the scary thing when one company controls all of that. Tommy? <laughs> I think, the, yeah, I, I think the comic fan in me is excited because you we yeah. might actually get to see Marvel has had a villain problem from the very beginning. You have mm. Loki and then you have who else? So <laughs> good point. Formidable villain I that's complex that. and lasts more than one film is going to be huge for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. Doctor Doom has been just begging to be in it. Mm -hmm. Having a Galactus that's actually more than just an angry burping cloud would be huge. <laughs> so being able to actually see some like valuable, interesting characters pop in is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Being able to see Hulk versus Wolverine would be thrilling. So the comic geek in me, having all these back home is amazing. That's one aspect. The other aspect that I think is exciting is being able to keep experimenting with genres. The fact that they're embracing Deadpool is exciting and that maybe they would encourage them to keep going further with this franchise and, and trying different genres. But on the downside, you're basically condensing the film industry, which has already got problems with diversity, with uh, payment issues of writers and talent. You're basically condensing it even more where you're giving this studio a lot of power. Mm -hmm. people, are, pe people are bearing the lead when it comes to how much power Disney already has. Yeah. One thing that completely flew under the radar. So there's this thing called ultraviolet, which is basically people get digital codes for movies. Mm -hmm. That was one effort by Sony and a few different companies to create like a digital locker and blah, blah, blah of, of digital movies. It, Disney was the one holdout. Every other major studio was involved. Disney held out and did their own thing. And they recently announced their own big platform that most other studios have jumped on called Movies Anywhere. Right. We jumped on it. What this does is this is huge. Because this is the chance, again, this is their ground zero approach to attack Netflix. 
Because Netflix is a data company. Netflix has data on what viewers habits, and it's very valuable on how to make decisions about what to buy and make and do for content. No one had access to that. So think about it. You were giving Netflix the ability to stream your shows, and they were paying you for that privilege, but they weren't giving you an ounce of that data back of who was watching it, and they were making their entire original series library based on that. Disney now has the chance to do that because their movies anywhere allows you to connect your libraries of iTunes, and Amazon, and Voodoo, and all that stuff, Google Play, across. And what that means is that Disney is now getting that data. So Disney is now becoming a data company to fight Netflix. So Disney will now have data about users. They'll have all these franchises, like you said, that are tugging at your heartstrings and your nostalgia. And they're the ones that are going to be massively powerful when it comes to determining <laughs> what is made and what happens next. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's scary. The movie mm -hmm. and book Cloud Atlas, in their futuristic storyline, they refer to movies as Disney's and to movie theaters as Disneyplexes or Disney, um, Disney viewers and whatever. But you get the idea is that Cloud Atlas did a lot of guessing about what the future is going to hold. And if Disney keeps gobbling up companies like this, there may be only one or two giant content creators out there, which mm -hmm. is really scary. Mm -hmm. Because look how good that works for us with Google and Apple making our smartphones. Exactly. It, it becomes problematic and they keep absorbing each other's missteps. It, I just... Yeah, you have... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, God. <laughs> I was saying, you have one or, yeah, one or two companies making you entertainment, and then it comes down to, do you want to watch Channel 1 or Channel 2 tonight? Do you want to watch, you know... Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of programming, but the bottom line is when you have one or two companies running the show with creativity, it really becomes problematic because you eventually have viewpoint problems Anything that's controversial or they don't want to support, they can kill. And that means there's no really other platforms out there for people to really program with. Yeah. And so as the industry condenses, it's just bad for diversity of views and anything that could be dissenting or controversial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Apple or Google, Disney or who? who? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not that's Fox exactly anymore. It. Republican or Democrat. <laughs> You're picking from a binary and we're entering the quantum age. So this needs to stop. Yeah. Well, on that ominous note, um, <laughs> but it, it will be good entertainment for a while. Like I, there are not, it's not all bad. It's just the, the, you know, we'll feel good about it for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the biggest thing is to sit, sit back, enjoy your connected cinematic universe as everything else bad happens. So at least we'll be able to see <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, every, everything that you guys said, I, I'm happy about Marvel coming to Disney but everything else is scary um, yeah. because of what that could mean for the future. But uh, thank you guys for, for clarifying that or, you know, giving <laughs> some more input on, on that whole thing, why it's scary, why people are upset about it and why people don't know anything about it. And um, really just really quickly, yeah. you can feel both of those things. You can be happy and sad about it at the Completely. and scared yeah. and all, <laughs> all those emotions. You don't have to pick, you can have them all. Yeah. Um, all and right. There, and as a closing thing, there, there might be a chance <laughs> that Rupert Murdoch and uh, Bob Iger get this deal kiboshed by the government. True. But probably not this administration. With the current administration, it <laughs> is very unlikely to be stopped. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, if people want to listen to your show, Supercharged, go go take a listen to that because it's more of what you just heard <laughs> yeah actually believe it or not we uh, tommy you what, what was the episode where we covered something like this uh was it was it when we were talking about china and hollywood is that when we we got into it or is it before that because i think that was 177 oh, yeah. so if anyone actually wants to watch something or listen to something relevant to it 
on Supercharged, we have actually done some of this stuff, but I don't remember. Oh, no, 172, the Encyclopedia of Human Terror. <laughs> go there check go, that yeah. one out. <laughs> that's the dystopian version of, of, of that's that just the, all the bad stuff. But that, that was you, Tommy. You, you brought that on. Yeah, I, I was in a good mood that day. You can tell. <laughs> Tommy knows a lot about a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So if you want to know more about Tommy and Hunt, um, Tommy and Hunt and Tommy and Adam, uh, go check out their show, Supercharged. Uh, it's on the Awkward Human Network, which is the network that my show is on. And uh, yeah, it was very interesting talking to them because, like I said, I wasn't really grasping the whole uh, situation that is Disney buying Fox. And we talked a little bit after this as well, after the recording, and, uh, they just made it seem a lot darker <laughs> as we kept going. So, uh, yeah, I am still excited, uh, you know, for hopefully, you know, it gets approved and everything. I'm excited for X-Men to go back to the Marvel universe and, um, the MCU and it, but you know what what could come out of it it does sound a little scary um so yeah I have a little bit more understanding and thank you guys for giving it to me all right so now we're gonna go on to the main topic which I guess is like a semi-main topic because I feel like the Fox Disney thing <laughs> took took quite a, a long longer time than I thought it would but anyway this episode we're going to be talking about Coco and the reason I'm talking about Coco is because this movie made me feel things, <laughs> some crazy things that I didn't think that I'd be feeling when I was watching it or when I before I got into the theater to watch it. Uh, and and I thought it was very important for me to talk about it. And so I invited Sarah from the Comadres y Comics podcast to come on and talk to me about it because she is also Latina. And um, I wanted to have someone who is uh, Latino, Latina to be on the show to talk about it just so we could get a little bit more about why it's important that this film was made and like what it meant to people like her and I. So here is that. All right, so I have Sarah with me from the comic, or sorry, Comadresi Comics podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yay. Yeah, so basically I wanted to have you on because you are Latina um, and you have your own podcast, so you know what this is all about. And I wanted to have kind of like the perspective of a Latina on here. I myself, I'm also Latino, but um, this movie did something very interesting to me <laughs> that I didn't think was going to happen, which is basically that I cried the entire way through. Wow. Yeah. I, I did too. I, I definitely did. It was very, very emotional for me as well. Yeah. Um, and, and it hit me in a, in a way that I didn't think it would because, um, I mean, I, I usually cry in movies. I'm a crier. That's what I do. But um, it just, it brought me to a point when I was a little kid. And, and the little kid in the movie um, reminded me a lot of my nephew and kind of seeing like his passions and stuff and like the family basically telling this little kid, no, you can't do music because we're banning music. Um, and that's all he wants to do is just do music and he doesn't have the support of his family. And that reminded me of myself as a kid a lot. Um, so yeah, uh, I forget the name of the kid. What's the kid's name? It's not Hector. That's the main boy. I mean, the, the uh main guy. Yeah, actually, his name's Miguel. Miguel, thank yes. you. So oh, Miguel, 
Um, and uh, yeah, so everything about it was was fantastic. And and what it did for me was basically. We're going to get real, Sarah. Okay, we're going to get real, real. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Um, when I was a kid, I, I was always teased for not looking Mexican enough, basically. Um, they call me Güero. They call me Camarón. They call me, like, all these names. Because I, when I was a little kid, I used to have, like, bright red hair. And now, as I got older, it got a lot darker. But um, that did something to me where it made me want to reject being Mexican in a mm -hmm. weird way, um, because they teased me so much, because they basically, this is coming from my family too. It's not coming oh. from like friends and stuff. This is coming from my family. And so they would always say like, I'm a white boy and all that stuff. And they wouldn't really like help me become more Mexican or like understand mm -hmm. the culture a lot more. Like I lived in the culture, but I always felt like I was on the outside because of the way I was teased and stuff. And so I think growing up, I like pushed it aside a lot and so now I'm older and I don't have that connection to it as much but watching this movie made me realize the importance of diversity in films and representation in films and this is the first time I really saw like especially Disney do something that spoke to Mexicans um how what were your thoughts about it you know, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, being pushed away by your own family and your peers because of how you looked. For me, for example, I felt that uh, I felt the same way, although it was a little bit different because I, I grew up in Gardena, but like in the outskirts of Gardena. So it's a lot of um, like a lot of minorities in a school and so forth. So I did I, I like to read um, and I like to use, you know, those five dollar words or whatever. So uh, a lot of times they they would say they would talk in slang to me and I'm like well what does that mean what are zaps I don't mm. know if you know but zaps are you know cassettes so, <laughs> but um it was little things like that that they would say you talk like a white girl mm -hmm. and and that was just like what do you mean I thought this is how you spoke English <laughs> uh -huh. like I read this is correct from you know what I've read so I, I don't I don't feel I, you're trying to act white mm -hmm. and I'm like I'm not you know but that also pushed me from almost like you said rejecting it definitely um I felt like oh another novella like, <laughs> <laughs> or uh I wouldn't admit like that I watched quinceanera mm -hmm. you know or stuff like that uh or you know uh what was it uh well the, the myriad amount of uh, novelas are out there, but um, even chili, I didn't, I rejected eating or get, getting an appreciation for like spicy foods. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as I've grown older though, like today I put a, a <laughs> put chili in my food, uh, but I didn't do that while growing up. Like I, I wanted to be like my own person and I just felt that the kind of uh, personality that I had did not go with like the Mexican ideal. Like, um, so like you said, yeah, I did reject that. Uh, but there are a lot of things in the movie that I felt like kind of magnified what I, I grew up with around, mm -hmm. like Las Ofrendas, um, Los Rezos, tradition, um, and the family. Like there's this, I, I took my nephew to see it because, um, he says he's Mexican, cute little boy. He says he's Mexican, but he doesn't speak Spanish. Oh. He doesn't try. Oh. And I feel like I don't want him to do do what I did, mm -hmm. which is kind of rejected. I actually learned to speak 
better Spanish as a young adult. Mm. Um, I went on chat rooms in Spanish. I kind of started reading in Spanish and so forth. So I tried to um, hold on to my Spanish and I traveled to Mexico to learn even better Spanish. And um, But yeah, even that was something that could have been lost had I not tried. Right. Um, but my nephew, he he says, oh, I, I, I don't understand. What is he saying or what are they saying? You know, so I want him to feel okay with, you know, being Mexican. Mm-hmm. Even though he does openly say he's Mexican, he doesn't feel like he is because he doesn't speak Spanish almost. I don't know. It's kind of weird. So I took him to see it and um, he, uh, there were little scenes in it, which kind of like, you see, you see what I'm talking about? I tell him um, there was a part where the grandmother she was trying to feed him like what do you mean you don't want any more tamales uh-huh. Here's some more. <laughs> he's like okay i okay i'll have more <laughs> yeah that's what i really enjoyed about this movie is that it it really captured the culture and like i said like i was definitely in the culture i just felt apart from it so like a lot of it for me was you know looking you know from the outside in or whatever but um, that's what I really liked about it. It did show a lot of that like family dynamic that Mexicans, mm-hmm. you know, do have. And I'm sure other cultures, but like, you know, specifically for this movie, Mexicans. And um, that's what brought me back to being a child again is having like that that abuela who is always on everybody's case, but like also just wanted the best for you, even if you felt like that wasn't the best thing. And and so I really appreciated that um, having all the music, especially the music was so oh, good absolutely. in it. Like, you know, having that banda style and stuff like that, the mariachi style. Um, I really, really uh, appreciated that um, when. OK, so one of the things that I enjoyed about the movie uh, was the animation itself. So good. The colors were so vibrant everything looks so detailed like the city when he first goes into the the city of the dead or whatever like so vibrant <laughs> what stood out for you oh absolutely i have to agree the animation was amazing uh one of the things that i like to really uh look at is how they they animate eyes mm. because i feel that they have to project a lot of emotion throughout the movie as a character you um most of uh the facial features and especially like the look in their eyes and I felt this one, like when you would see his big eyes in the screen and you're like, oh my gosh, he's he's going through something. So I, I really appreciated that. I loved the colorful, um, like you said, all the colors that just came at you. The marigold, um, La Flor de Muerto, is it, what is it, marigold? Mm-hmm. Is the, um, bridge. I thought, oh mm. my God, this makes sense. Um, you know, they told me that pets are are the ones that are going to help you cross over. And, you know, the use of the dog in the movie. I mean, everything was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like that, too. Um, I wasn't too familiar with the whole Day of the Dead um, thing. I know that a few years ago, you know, the Book of Life came out and I didn't really mm-hmm. I sort of watched it <laughs> like I, I watched it on a plane, got halfway through and like fell asleep. So bad on me. But um, it, I didn't really feel anything from that movie as as I did with Coco, because I think them having a kid be the main character really did something, not just for for the Latino community, but just for anyone being a kid and kind of being told, 
you can't do this thing that you're passionate about because it's not like, you know, from in my family, like I wanted to do music or whatever when I was younger. I did it for for a lot of years, but my dad would always tell me that's not going to pay your bills. You can't do this. And he never like supported me in doing that. So it like reminded me of that a lot. Oh, man. You know, uh, Mexican parents, uh, they are amazing, <laughs> but but they do do that. Um, I took some art classes and they're like, how are you going to pay your bills as an artist? Like they couldn't see past like, you know, they came struggling to this country to find a new life, a better life for their family. So I think they're coming from the success is to actually pay your bills. So if you're going <laughs> yeah. to go into music or art, they just don't see that really happening for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that case, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, having something banned like that, something so artistic, like music, you're just like, oh, and for you see the little kid struggling because he's he's um, he's obviously another totally different generation who's going to think differently. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he wants to follow his dreams and um, the way life is for them. I mean, they're successful at their you know family business, which is making shoes. Um, and uh, I know they wanted was what was best for them. But yes, definitely struck a chord with me and how they kind of denied him that dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just really great. Um, I think for him as a character being a young boy and for us having grown up in that culture mm-hmm. or just maybe sort of uh, being outside looking in, we definitely identified with the main character, which I found to be very charming. Yeah, yeah. And what I really liked about the movie is that, you know, at the beginning, they show the story of Imelda and her husband, Hector, um, who we don't actually know uh, in the beginning, but uh, how he decides to leave the family to pursue music career. And she basically decides that she's going to shut it down, like no more music in this family. I got to hustle to protect my family, like my daughter, and we need to make a life for ourselves. And so what I really liked is that they showed this woman who, even though she was left on her own, like persevered, you know, she mm-hmm. became very successful. She started this shoemaking company and it became a huge deal for her and her whole family. And that like everyone after her went into the shoe business to continue that legacy of, you know, shoemaking or whatever. So I thought it was really cool that they showed like a powerful, you know, Mexican woman doing good on her family. So I thought that was really cool. And actually, that goes to speak to a lot of families out there who have a parent who is no longer there. Mm-hmm. In this case, the father had left to pursue his music career. Um, and her being like, you know, you know, taking on the full responsibility of the entire household um, and then her daughter after her and um, how they're strict but loving. I just thought it was it was really on point. Um and yeah, it, and, and I like it because you see the picture of, of uh, Coco, which is the grandmother, and she looks like, you know, really serious. She's not smiling in her picture. She's just standing up straight. Like, um, I remember my mom telling that every time she took a picture of us, she's like, stand up straight. And we always <laughs> in all the pictures, we come out looking like soldiers. <laughs> but it totally reminded me of that. It was just really funny. And and Coco in the movie we see that she has age. She's still mm-hmm. alive, but she, um, I guess, uh, is on the. Um, she has Alzheimer's, possibly. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really interact. But I like the way uh, Miguel. Uh, he says she doesn't really say anything, but I talk to her. Yeah. And I thought that was really good to see. Um, I wanted my nephew to see that too, 
I wasn't expecting that to be part a big part of the story, but um, in him seeing that, seeing that you can't just um, discard people because they're older and they just don't talk to you, mm -hmm. um, it really makes a difference if you, oh my God, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> <sighs> if you talk to them, you know, like there are things that they are listening to you and they're still here. Mm -hmm. They just may not communicate in the same way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like that, especially because, you know, um, growing up in, in my family, like we did have our like my great grandmother, you know, was the oldest one and everyone would like look to her for answers. And and, you know, she got older and all that stuff, you know, happens or whatever. And so it, it was a nice thing to show, like even because Coco is his great grandmother and then he has his grandmother underneath who's kind of like running the whole show at that mm -hmm. point, telling everyone what needs to be is. is. And so, you know, it, seeing that kind of thing, like, it's just so resonated <laughs> with the way I grew up. And that's where I wanted to, like, kind of go with the whole, like, diversity and the importance of representation in these movies is because I've never seen anything like this from, like, a major studio like Disney putting out there. And I think that's why I got so emotional, too, is because I didn't realize it was something that I needed to see. And and to to see it on the big screen, like right there, right in your face, they weren't shying away from it whatsoever was just amazing. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up that, um, you know, you didn't expect to see such detail in this Disney movie. Um, one of the consultants on the Disney movie uh, in Coco was Lalo Alcaraz. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm not. Uh, Lalo Alcaraz is an American cartoonist. He's most known for being the author of a comic called La Cucaracha, mm. the first nationally syndicated political-themed Latino daily comic strip. Mm. Um, and he's a very interesting fellow. I, I actually have gotten to talk to him a few times. Um, he's, uh, I think he's in San Diego or local, but um, he does a lot of events sometimes. And, you know, he's really passionate about politics and so forth. He's, uh, But um, he... Um, like I said, he's a consultant in Disney. He was actually anti-Disney for some time, oh. but he thought he thought it was really interesting that they would ask him uh, for a consulting on this Coco movie. Mm -hmm. And I think he did a great job. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, it was <laughs> really good. I, I am so glad that they got him on there because it, it just felt very true. Um, there's a point in the movie where, you know, he's running around trying to trying to find his you know, grandfather, because he's in this world of the dead and he needs a blessing from a relative uh, who it has passed in order to go back to the world of the living. And basically he gets the blessing from his grandmother Imelda, but she has conditions and it's basically like, you will go back, you will never play music again, you will work as a shoemaker and like, you know, that's going to be your life. And he, and he, thinks about it he's like no I can't do that and like the whole family is going after him to make sure that he gets home on time to like basically because her picture is taken off the ofrenda and and he needs to put it back up there but he's not going to go back in her conditions so he needs to find his grandfather who he believes is this world famous singer um and during that journey there's a moment that happens where he's just performed in a concert and she finds out that it's him and she's chasing him and he like gets away from her through this gate and she can't fit through it. And he's like, I won't go back with you. You're just trying to ruin my life. Like, I'm going to go. And he starts running and she starts singing. 
And that kind of was a moment where the theater just gets very silent. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, she doesn't she doesn't hate music because she doesn't like it. It's because this husband of hers did this very horrible thing. And and we realize that they used to sing together and she can't sing without him. Like she's so angry that that he left that she's shut it down because if 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 she's not going to have music with him, she's not going to have music with anyone. And he chose music over her. So music is the bad guy. And and to see her like come out and be like, no, I loved music, but I had to do this for my family. That was so emotional. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure there's there's a lot of stories where a lot of uh, grownups, uh, be it aunts, uncles, grandmothers, great grandmothers gave up something in order to persevere. Mm -hmm. And it could have been something that was so, um, so true to them, like for in her case, singing. Um, and, And yeah, you're right. That actually was very emotional. My great grandmother, she was uh, broken hearted over a man who chose another woman, even though she had children with him, he chose somebody else. And since then, she said no, no man ever. Mm. And she never remarried. So um, yeah, I could see how that, you know, they could be like, absolute, like, no more. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and their whole life, Will revolve around this choice and then a lot of people will be like oh well she's just bitter but it's not that you just don't know the story you everybody's journey is completely different yeah. and sometimes you you know have to be kind because you don't know where their story came from or where they're coming from right yeah and i really like that reveal because it's true like you said you know you don't know anyone's story um like you only see what's in front of you but you don't know what happens behind the scenes you don't know what she's actually feeling and so that i felt like was really important and and a really great moment for the film oh absolutely um absolutely i one of the uh characters that i really enjoyed was um this uh I guess this dead person. <laughs> <laughs> they call him a sausage. Oh, because, chicharron or chorizo. <laughs> chorizo, that's right. Because, uh, and they're like, well, why do they call you chorizo? And he's like, well, they said that I choked on a chorizo. And that's how I died. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I mean, the, the story unfolds on his story as well. But one of the things I liked is that that's played by Gael Garcia Bernal, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite actors. Uh, so that was really exciting to see. Um, um, he's uh, he's doing a lot of good things in his in his car- uh, career right now. So I I like the fact that he was in it. Yeah, so, he was such a great character in it, too. And um, he's an, a key character in the movie. Yeah, and the, and I'm, I, we've already spoiled a lot, so we're, we're going to get there. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Uh, but actually, I wanted to kind of go there now, which is basically the theme of the movie was kind of like not only this kid, you know, being passionate and, and you know, the family rejecting that passion and everything and kind of like overcoming it and all that stuff. But it was also about... Um, like the importance of family and remembering there's a song that plays throughout the entire movie, which is called remember me. And we learn, you know, later that this guy, uh, Chorizo, AKA Hector, AKA the father of Coco. Um, we learned that he 
wrote this song for for Coco because when he would go off and perform, he would sing it to her before he would leave. And and it's basically like, hey, no matter where I'm at, I'm always thinking of you. Remember me and all that stuff. Um, and throughout the movie, he's trying to get Miguel to go back on the other side to the living so that he can put his picture up there so that he's remembered he can go back to to visit his daughter one last time because in the land of the dead if you uh if someone if there's no more living people that remember you you have a second death or the final death is what they call it so basically you disappear um and that's about to happen to him because his daughter is forgetting him um so that's kind of one of the journeys that that takes place in this film and we see the flashback of him singing to his little girl which is like more tears <laughs> come out this Absolutely. movie just tugs at your heartstrings the entire time oh man i mean he's standing there singing with his guitar and she's a little girl sitting on the bed just looking up at her dad and again the eyes you know mm-hmm. oh my god it was so i just oh all i remember was like going <laughs> Uh-huh. I, didn't want my, I didn't want my nephew to be like, oh my gosh, she's crying again. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was, you know what? At one point I was like, you know, forget it. I'm just going to cry. Uh-huh. I, you know, like I just cry. I think the people next to me were like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and at the end, you know, we get um, Imelda and Hector back together and they kind of confront their issues with each other and and she learns the truth about why he never came back which is basically that this guy who is world famous singer actually killed him and you know stole his music and all this all the music that was written was actually by Hector um and so we have a nice moment with with the mother and and or sorry the grandmother and the grandfather you know, kind of like coming back and she starts singing in front of the huge crowd and everything to distract from the fact that, you know, these people are trying to get away with um, the blessings and all that stuff. Um, At the end of the movie, he's able to, Miguel is able to go back to the land of living and go to Coco right as she's forgetting, basically. Mm -hmm. And and the family's trying to stop him from like singing to her because he's like, no, I got to do this. And, and, And eventually the family's like, all right, I'll wait that. Like, let let him do this. And he starts singing to her, and, and we think that it might be too late, but then she, like, starts singing with him. Oh. <laughs> that was the best part. I mean, man, I just want to cry right now. But um, it was so great because he was able to bring back a memory that was really dear to her, and you can see it in her eyes. She just her face light, lit up with all these wrinkles and you know half closed eyes and she starts singing along with him and it was just so beautiful and I want to cry right now mm-hmm. uh, but um it was just an amazing scene full of emotion and um you, Miguel is singing his heart out like please remember Coco, Mama Coco please and it was just like oh <laughs> <sighs> yeah um but yeah, basically, I mean, she ends up remembering and and, and we get a happy ending out of it. Um, and after the movie, uh, I had watched it with my boyfriend and, you know, we were walking out and I was just tears, like ugly, ugly tears, just like streaming down my face, looking disgusting. Um, and he asked me, like, how did you feel about it? And I, I had to take a moment because I was like, 
I felt everything about it. <laughs> and, and it made me, for the first time, like I stated earlier, realize the importance of representation and diversity because I, like I said, never seen anything like this. And, and for the first time, I was like, oh, that is a story that's so similar to me. Like, you know, I don't have going to the dead, <laughs> the land of the dead or whatever, but like that is such a familiar story and and to see my heritage played out on the screen like that with the music I grew up with and everything like that like whoa what a crazy impact it had on me and like it's like I've been watching all these movies with you know white leads my entire life never thinking it was an issue and and growing up or not growing up but recently you know in the past few years realizing that yes it is an issue but then finally being able to experience why it's an issue and like truly understand that it's an issue was amazing well i mean it was incredible for me and for me uh, my mom passed away um in a car accident so uh, mm. for me it was like tears throughout because all i can think about is the times that I didn't put up the ofrenda mm. or um, because, you know, oh, you know, I forgot or, um, you know, it's like it's too late or or um, I didn't do it last year. I might as well not do it this year. But now seeing this movie, I'm just like, you know, there could be a little like a 1% chance that they do come to visit you. So um, I just, it's so emotional for me. Like I felt, I feel like I should have been more on it. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like this just reminds you of how important, like you said, it is for, to have representation or to have these stories told to you in a way that you could understand them more because, um, you know, growing up, they would just put the friend up. They didn't really sit me down and tell me this, you know, this is why we put it up. Mm -hmm. And seeing this, especially for my nephew, he was like, you didn't do it this year. And I said, yes, I did. I did it late, but I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I showed him the picture I because I, I wanted to be validated. I'm like, you have to see that I did it, you know, to my little nephew. And he's like, oh, okay, so we're going to put one up next year. So now he's included in this mm -hmm. and I, I and that's what i loved about this movie hmm. yeah that's sweet um i'm glad that that brought you the connect or more of a connection with him and like you guys can start your own tradition with doing that and stuff like i i think about it and i'm the kind of person that would like love to be able to do something like that with my family but i just know myself and i know like one thing you don't know about me is that like growing up i not only just rejected the culture, but I kind of rejected my family as well. And so it's really hard for me personally to to be close with my family. Like I see them every once in a while and everything, but like, it's really hard for me to, to really be there with them and like feel okay. And like, feel like I'm experiencing this like love of family and everything. I have a very complicated relationship with them, but um, it, the movie did make me feel like there is something that was always missing that I need to reconnect with and I need to figure out how to do that. Um, so I'm glad that I saw this movie and it was able to do that for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And, and it's never too late. Like I said, I, you know, like, uh, I guess people would say you're like, Oh, you're so whitewashed to me. And, uh, my aunt, uh, would be like, Oh, Sarah, you're like, so not, you know, in your culture. And, and yeah, I get that. But recently, like, you know, having a podcast called Comadres y Comics um, 
and having a concha in our logo and stuff mm-hmm. like that my aunt is like oh my god all of a sudden it's like you're revisiting your roots and I'm I'm like yes um I don't think it's ever too late to go back and even though I might have been oh so goth before I can be like I'm Mexican too. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can reconnect with that. I can find out more about it. I can go to the library and find out. I can ask my dad about my great grandmother and my mom and and everybody. Like it's never too late. Like, like they were saying in the movie. Like, if you remember them, they will always live on with yeah. the people that remember in memories. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I also loved about this movie was that they had little characters, cameos. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. They had Frida Kahlo, uh-huh. which I loved. And uh, they had uh, Chespirito was there too. Uh, mm. He was uh, El Chavo del Ocho, um, este, El Chapulín Colorado. Um, they had um, Jorge Negrete and Vicente Fernandez. So it was just like... Wow, they really, I mean, <laughs> little details, yeah. man. They did a great job. Yeah, no, it's definitely an A-plus movie for me. Honestly, it's probably like my favorite movie of the year. Uh, yes. Which is crazy because I didn't think I'd love an animated movie that much to be like, it's the best movie of the year. But to me, it definitely, definitely <laughs> was. Well, yeah, so I definitely recommend this movie to everyone. I want everyone to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I um, I took my nephew and I, I was telling, I was asking him, did you tell your mom? Did you tell your yeah. mom you saw it? Did you tell her that she should watch it? You should tell everybody. Yeah, I told my, I texted my sister like that night, like, go take my nephew to see this movie. She's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> You'll understand when you see it. <laughs> um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, another thing is that they're showing the Spanish version in certain theaters. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, that's so, so cool. my husband, my husband's from Nicaragua. Um, he understands English, but I want him to get the full effect. Mm-hmm. But he he's from Nicaragua, so they don't really celebrate the Day of the Dead. But I think he'll relate to like the how Latino feel of mm-hmm. it. So um, I can't wait till he comes home so we can watch it in Spanish Aww. one more time. Oh, that's so and great! <laughs> I'm so excited because I want to see. Because um, there are some words I'm not gonna lie that I did not know. Mm. So I want to go again and kind of, you know, take a screenshot in my head and then go home and look it up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for being on my show and talking about this movie with me. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. It was so great. I was looking forward to it and I'm glad that I was able to see the movie because uh, for so long I put it off. So now seeing it and being able to talk about it, it just, it really feels good. Yay. All right, Sarah, where can people find uh, you and your podcast? Uh, we are on iTunes and Podomatic. It's Comadres y Comics. I believe we're on our 27th episode. And right now we just have a little break because our mixture's down. But uh-huh. we will have a new episode up um, possibly next week. So Comadres y Comics, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Podomatic and iTunes. Yay, thank you. Thank you. Yay, that was Sarah from Comadres y Comics Podcast. Thank you, Sarah, for being on my show. All right, so um, I don't know if that made any sense to you, (laughs) but we loved Coco. And I know that the movie came out a few weeks ago, 
or maybe like a month ago or something, but I really, really wanted to talk about it. And the dog's making a ton of noise right now. I'm so sorry. If you heard him barking during that interview, sorry for that as well. Um, he's just been a little crazy today. He's always crazy, I guess, because I'm talking about him on every single episode I do. All right. This is the end of the show, but I do want to leave you guys with my recommendation. Um, I went to go see I, Tanya, and I wanted that movie to be off the walls bananas. It wasn't off the walls bananas. It was just bananas. And <laughs> I was okay with that because the movie made you aware of her in a way that I don't think the general public was like they did it like everyone knew what she did right Tanya Harding and, and Nancy Kerrigan everyone knew that story it but no one knew the ins and outs of the story and even this movie kind of tells you like this may not be the 100% truth but this is what we've been told and we're going to show you every perspective or not every perspective they don't show Nancy's perspective but every perspective within that you know Tanya Harding group and it's fascinating for sure it's really fascinating i thought everyone did a really really good job um as far as the actors go um they made some interesting choices with the film but it, it to me it worked I really enjoyed it. So if you want to go see it in theaters and are like questioning whether or not you should, I say go for it. I really liked it. Uh, but it's also something that you could just wait for to, you know, show up on video at your your local red box. Do they still do red box? I don't know because I don't get out very often. <laughs> maybe maybe to go down the street to get a bottle of wine, but I don't know that they have a red box where my wine shop is. Um, anyway, that's the that's the episode. Um, I think that's going to be the last one of the year because because Christmas is coming and I celebrate Christmas. So Christmas is coming and then New Year's and then we're in 2018. I don't like that at all. But you know what? Let's get away from 2017. It was kind of a weird, weird year for a lot of people uh, and frustrating, especially. But uh, I welcome 2018. Welcome 2018. Come, come in, uh, have a seat. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, follow us on, on Twitter at interview a nerd. We have the website interview with a nerd.com. Um, you can follow me on, on Twitter at Le Richard C. I'm there and I'm on Instagram. I post a lot of photos of Rocco, the dog that I always talk about. So if you want to see that. Also, hey, do me a favor. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Go rate it. Go rate this show. Go do it. It really does help the show out. It gets more people listening. It gets more people interested. And it gets more people on the show, which I want. I want more people on the show, please. Um, so, yeah, go do that. It, it, it would make me feel better. <laughs> but besides all that, remember, you guys, stay lovely. Be kind to one another. And I will see you next year. Bye.